The whole concept of the show was over by the end of the first episode because then they, then they saw each other. The Love is Blind show was over. The whole concept was done. So after episode one, I thought it was stupid. It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Houndog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 89, the Doug Baldwin edition of the podcast. What an absolute warrior he was. Going from an undrafted rookie to one of the greatest Seahawks receivers ever. Before I get to him, I just want to say I'm excited to get back into the swing of things with these podcasts. I've been so busy for quite some time, brag. Which is to say, now that the golf season is over, I have a lot more free time on my hands to bring in these pods. So I'm back at it on my quest to reach the ever-important milestone of 100 episodes. Bang! Back to Baldwin. He's fourth in receptions and yards in Seahawks team history, and his third in TD catches with the team. He won Super Bowl 48, where the Hawks smashed the Broncos 43-8. A game, by the way, few give them credit for, because it wasn't the most exciting game for most fans. Why do I bring that up? Well, my guest today is a huge Denver fan, and I figured why not rub salt in the wound and perhaps bring up that game, along with a certain trade this offseason between the two teams that might have gone the Seahawks' way. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on a very special guest, Eric Rosales. He's been on the most on H-Dog Pod history. Episodes 3, 10, 57, 75, and now for a record fifth time. I've worked with him at TSN and now sportsbettingdime.com. Welcome back to the pod, Eric. Wow. Five time. I'm like the SNL five timers club. Amazing. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. No, of course. And generally when I've had you on, bad things have unfortunately occurred. Uh, like uh, when Kobe Bryant tragically passed away or when Tiger Woods uh, had the horrible car accident or when the COVID pandemic hit. And we broke the horrible trend last time. Can we, can we keep, keep that going? Hopefully this one. Well, let's hope so. I mean, unless you want to talk about the horrible decline of Russell Wilson and my Denver Broncos, that would probably be a, uh, a eulogy kind of a pod too, but we can keep it a little bit lighter. Oh, <laughs> of course, I would never want to bring on a Denver Broncos fan to talk about Russell Wilson uh, struggling. Why would I, we ever want to bring that up? No, it definitely wasn't on my we? list. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't <laughs> on my list at all to discuss. Actually, in my in my intro, I I did speaking of discussing. I talked about the Seahawks dismantling the Broncos forty three to eight in the Super Bowl forty eight because episode eighty nine, Doug Baldwin. Uh, what are your memories of that game? Discuss everything about it in detail for about an hour, please. <laughs> Fantastic. The only thing that uh, when I knew we were in, a, when, in for a rough one was when the uh, initial snap went over Peyton Manning's head. And I'm like, oh, we're done. We are, this is this is not the way to start. And then it literally went downhill as far as you could go from there. So, oh, man. Um, uh, Ma- I, Malcolm Smith was the MVP of that game, linebacker, seventh round pick. Very uh, that, probably the most forgotten MVP in Super Bowl history. But uh, I love that game. It's funny to me how Seattle gets no credit for winning that almost because everyone, of course, talks about the losing the next year to, to uh, the New England on the one yard line yeah yeah it's the it's the uh sort of the up and down of like of super bowl success and failure like they completely dismantle one team and then the next year basically you know the train is on time to win their second straight and then that happened it's just i mean we go into that for an hour too i think we could we could uh, lament on both but yeah well, uh... <laughs> i will say that i will say this though in terms of game planning i will say the one thing that bothers me about that broncos game plan i believe that they um uh, of the Broncos receivers, I think Demarius Thomas had a big game in that in that Super Bowl. But their plan was to sacrifice Eric Decker to uh, Richard Sherman, just knowing that it was going to be tough to throw against them. I, I just don't know how you shut off one side of the field as a as a game plan. So 
not not that it mattered, not that it even came close to mattering, but I just don't like those kind of game plans. So right, well, yeah, of course, at the time, Richard Sherman was uh, obviously. In, very much in his prime then, and it is pretty crazy. I remember someone asking me before that game, they said, if it's a blowout, would it be Denver? Uh, and they thought Denver, if it was a blowout, it would be them. But I said, no, no, if, I don't think it will be one. But if there is going to be one, I think it would be, be Seattle just with their defense. And uh, still can't believe they won. I still remember, maybe it was uh, Shades of the Maple Leafs blowing a three-goal lead to the Bruins in Game 7 a couple years before that. I still remember, yes. like, with, like, six minutes left in that game, obviously the game was well in hand, and people were, like, were texting me and, and all that stuff. Oh, congratulations. And I was just like, shut up, shut up, shut up. If anyone can do this, <laughs> it's Peyton Manning. Until the clock hits zero, I will not celebrate this Super Bowl. That's fair. I mean, I was, I was on the other side being like, there's no way in hell this is happening. Like, I'm basically hate-watching right now and finding ways to, like, try to – puncture my television with with objects so uh it's funny on both sides we should have had cameras watching both of us it would have been amazing <laughs> and speaking of uh wanting to puncture the television good segue uh let's talk about uh your denver broncos uh of course in the off season uh russell wilson traded to them for a bunch of draft picks and a couple of really really good players everyone sort of thought well, you know let russ, russ cook Pete carroll's a dinosaur all this stuff and i was trying to warn people I was trying to say, uh, you know, Russell Wilson maybe doesn't have quite have it anymore. Some genius. I, I, I can't remember. Yeah, there was some genius who, who's seen every snap of uh, Russell Wilson's career, said he's not good anymore. But some clown didn't listen to him. Are you the genius or the clown in that scenario? Uh, give me a red nose and paint my face, man. I am the clown of clowns for, for, for not listening. So, uh, <laughs> first of all, good credit, like. Kudos to you for calling that out. I mean, I guess give it to a person who's literally watched. You might have missed, what, eight? minutes of his entire career play out so zero minutes um oh zero so it's been zero you've watched every game so mm -hmm. uh i mean l listen um maybe as a fan when you've been in like uh you know football purgatory basically missing the playoffs for five straight years and uh after having the you know the peyton manning era kind of coming and cleaning up uh you know the broncos you know history with a super bowl uh you just wanted something fresh and new and good and then along comes russell wilson and I'm like, I honestly was like, oh, good, we're in. Like, I don't, Patrick Mahomes might be great. Justin Herbert might be like this up and coming guy, but I just thought Russ is the guy. Like he's literally, you know, we, we talked about this on our group text. Uh, most of us pegged him as a top five QB this year, you know? And uh, it's absolutely, absolutely horrible watching it. I, to be totally honest with you, I don't watch their games. It's painful watching, watching them try to, try to, to let Russ cook. Like, I'm like, just run the ball. I'm almost like, where's Drew Locke? Bring him back. It's terrible. <laughs> and, I, and I was the last person. I was like, why did we even draft Drew Locke? These guys are horrible. So um, yeah, just a bad is like super disappointing. And also, it might be, if it turns out like this, like the combination of uh, players and draft picks surrendered, plus the monster extension they signed him to, this might be the worst deal in the past. Uh, I don't know how many bad deals. I, I think of the Herschel Walker deal. But this might be the worst deal in, in the history of the NFL, man, if it, if it this continues. Well, uh, I must say, I hope you're absolutely 100% correct on that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I uh, the stats wouldn't necessarily bear it out that Wilson wasn't as good the last about, I would say, it's six, last six games of 2020 and then uh, 2021. Like, he was still a pretty darn good quarterback. I couldn't have imagined he would have been this bad. You know, I, I always figured when the wheels did fall off, it would fall off hard because he wouldn't be able to escape, uh, you know, pressure and all that stuff and run away from his problems. I couldn't have 
I mean, realistically, I couldn't have thought he'd be this bad. Uh, and I, and almost like Aaron Rodgers, I keep thinking, okay, at some point they're going to figure it. You know, he's going to figure it out. To me, it's compl- it's so wild that uh, that he's fallen off a cliff like this. And I mean, you said it was it was happening, but even then, even if it was declined skills, like Peyton Manning, um, you know, he was coming off neck surgery, and and when he's and I remember telling you this early on in the season, he had a couple games. The first four games, I think they started out two and two, and he looked awful in a couple of those games. It looked like, oh God, this is diminished skills, but. You know, he turned it around, obviously. Uh, but diminished skills doesn't mean that you're you're a diminished you're, you're an awful player. His play has gone off off a cliff, and I guess part of it is you know it would be good to have a better environment around him. Uh, I don't think uh, uh, Hackett is a great coach, but you know we, we won't see. But uh, you know, it, maybe Hackett's poor decision making early on was kind of masking it in the beginning. We were saying, oh man, if Hackett was a better coach, or if they had a better coach in there, maybe Wilson would be better. And now, when Hackett is done nothing like stupid they just look exactly the same like they still look bad minus bad coaching decisions you know what i mean so i don't know it's 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 pretty rough to say i will say this i think this is uh something that i've talked about with a couple of people and i think aaron Rodgers uh and russell wilson both fall in this category part of the thing why they like struggle is that they don't they didn't really do training camp and i think that that's a big problem that's been coming up um you know scoring is down in the nfl uh, and I think it's because a lot of these guys, they don't use training camp anymore like they used to. You know, there's, they might go through the, the playbook and run through concepts, but they're not putting on pads. They're not playing in games. They're not building continuity. And, and especially for Wilson on a new team, he didn't play very much with that roster. So you could do as much offseason throwing with your receiving group and all that stuff, but reps matter, I think. And I think you, I think it's showing up here. And I think that that's the same with Rodgers. I mean, it's a, I mean, obviously the situation is different. He's trying to bring in new receivers and everything, but the continuity factor, they look out of sync, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, I think you'll see in, in the coming the coming years, I think more uh, coaches are going to start putting their players through these through these motions and stuff. And part of the reason why I think the defense is doing better is because even if their star players on defense aren't playing, you rotate so many guys in on defense uh, uh, just in a regular game. So, the players that maybe not aren't starters, they're all rotation players, so they're all getting the concepts, right? They're all running through that concept. So they kind of have a head start on what, what an offense is doing because on offense, you can you can shuffle through and run the same concepts, but you actually need the quarterback, the, the actual quarterback you're going to use and the receivers and the O-linemen to kind of work in, in cohesion. And I think that that's sort of been lacking this whole season. What that's do you a, think? That's a really, really good point. Yeah, I, you know, it, it is funny. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Wilson didn't have any snaps at all in the preseason for Denver, mm-hmm. which I kind of thought was weird because, like, as you as you mentioned, like he was breaking into a new team, you know, new system, new coach, all that stuff. You know, not that I expected him to play, you know, all you know, all three games or whatever, but it was sort of surprising that, uh, you know, you're right that there weren't uh, these live reps with uh, these players. It definitely is, is bizarre. Uh, and speaking of his coach, as as you uh, alluded to, of course, Hackett. Uh, I have to ask this question. Who is the better Hackett in NFL history? Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, Denver Broncos coach, or a Seahawks receiver, DJ Hackett? Well, do we get to add a third option? San Jose Sharks goaltender, Jeff Hackett? <laughs> yeah, I uh, thought, sure, yeah. Let's, let's throw him into the mix. Well, whatever the mix is, let's put Nathaniel Hackett last, okay? Like, let's, let's just do that first, okay? <laughs> the first couple Hackett. of... <laughs> the first couple of uh, of games, he basically put himself out there as, uh, tell me I'm a deer in the headlights without telling me I'm a deer in the headlights. You know what I mean? He was just brutal. He just, some of the calls he made, I mean, remember we were we were uh, group texting about that 
about the first Seahawks game. It was incredible. So, um, yeah, no, he's he's bad. And but then but then again, he's kind of righted his ship, but his team is still bad. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, D- give me DJ Hackett and get me Jeff Hackett in between the pipes any day of the week. <laughs> and maybe perhaps uh, Jeff Hackett's uh, running mate could be a Brian Hayward or something like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm always good with the Brian Hayward guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, actually, the fascinating thing to me about. Uh, uh, and this is one thing, I, even as a Seattle fan, I actually thought Pete Carroll was in the wrong about this, uh, is that the, the clock management, it used to be they'd always burn timeouts and delay game penalties and took so long to get plays in. And, and I honestly used to think that was a Pete Carroll thing. That wasn't Russell Wilson. But that's happened mm-hmm. in Denver a lot, which is it's kind of funny to me. That's like I don't think anyone thought that that was a Russell Wilson thing. And clearly it is. And actually there was a, there was a remark. I love how Pete Carroll's had... Having these little nuggets of information on his radio show where he just sort of drops a little bit of a truth bomb uh, and people in the national media don't notice it for a day or two and then it finally comes out. We're recently, oh, you're talking about like the, the hand or the, uh, the, the armband with plays? Yeah, he's just basically, oh yeah, there was res- resistance <laughs> to using that uh, armband, uh, you know, uh, basically saying that's why Gino's been really good with running the offense. It, it is night and day difference. Not even talking about the actual results of the offense, just simply the play is being called. They're in the huddle really quickly. There's very, very minimal delay of games, except for this last mm-hmm. ga- one of the last games here. But it's uh, mm-hmm. it's stark contrast, and it is pretty crazy that uh, maybe old Pete knows what he's doing. You know what? I got to give him credit. He's, I mean, clearly it's showing. You know, it's it's like those contrasts, right? Like when Bill Belichick was without Tom Brady, Tom Brady goes and wins the title. Belichick misses the playoffs. So you kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, he, you know, he the goat does kind of know what he's doing, right? Um, in this situation, I mean, Wilson looks lost without Carroll. It kind of looks like the structure um, that the Seahawks had was actually more important to his success than than what he's than what he individually did, or they or they put him in a in a structure where he was able to succeed. I always think that if you can't get a playoff in time, like I, I try to think of like I always look at Peyton Manning, but Peyton Manning, he t- he lines his team up and he starts calling plays and. It looks like chaos, but it's organized. So even when he's barking out whatever play and hand gestures and everything, and it looks like the clock is running down, it actually is like he knows what he's doing and he gets there. It looks a little bit disconcerting to see a guy scrambling to get a playoff and burning timeouts. It just looks like you're disorganized. So, again, the structure is messed up, but you're also supposed to be one of the best QBs of this generation or you know, and, and you're struggling. And I think that the other part that kind of rubs me the wrong way is if you're losing that many games, you can't be saying, finishing your press conferences by saying Broncos country, let's ride. You just can't just stop, stop that, man. And there's just been a lot of stuff about him, you know, just grading people the wrong way. He talked about, you know, the NFL players were even making fun of him when he talked about the trip to London, he was nursing uh, his hamstring injury and a shoulder injury, but he said he worked out for four hours on the eight hour flight. Like it's just starting to like, this whole shtick is grading on people now, especially when the success isn't coming. When when the success is is happening, I mean, people can live with that. But now, it's kind of tough, right? Absolutely, it definitely comes across uh, as a nice guy, but definitely uh, a, a cornball for sure. Uh, no question about that. Yeah, the high super knees nerd, a yeah, nerd man, big yeah. time, big time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is pretty crazy how uh, things have totally changed. And outside of uh, Seattle, gets the Denver's first and second round picks at the next coming uh, for the draft with that huge trade. Outside of that, after like uh, this year, I, I I would love to see Russell Wilson get his game back. But this year. I definitely want them to struggle every single way because uh, Mayor Ranju, yeah, two uh, two first round picks and two second round picks plus 
Uh, Noah Fant's very solid tight end. Shelby Harris is a really good defensive lineman. And imagine yeah. if all this was happening with Drew Locke actually as a quarterback instead of Geno Smith. That would be even more of a punch in the gut. You know, imagine. And obviously, Geno Smith's been incredible. But imagine it was Drew Locke. Let me tell you something. If Geno Smith breaks his leg right now, I have no doubts that Drew Locke is coming in and throwing for 3,000 yards in the final X games of the season. <laughs> like, it just just to be like, oh, of course. Of course, this is how we got unlocked. For sure, right? So, uh, no, it, it's just a, just a great trade. Um, that's kind of like knowing your personnel and, and, and taking a swing at it. But like you're in line for the Seahawks are in line for a top 10 pick on top of whatever they get. Like that's incredible. Uh, that just advances their, uh, their, their progress or their process in this one, you know, they're way ahead of the schedule anyways. Um, but being able to identify Geno Smith as a, as a capable quarterback, that's crazy too. Considering like, think of all the guys that have made changes, like or changed teams. Like he's or or the new quarterbacks on teams, he's kind of the only one that's really excelling this year, right? Like going back to what you're saying about the training camp thing, he's been with the team like two or three years, uh, Gino. So these other quarterbacks, you know, like you like you mentioned, maybe they didn't get enough reps, enough practice with the team, and all that stuff, and then they get behind, and then you know you start losing a game or two, and the momentum goes the other way, goes the wrong way, yeah. I should say. And uh, sure. yeah, yeah, continuity for sure is is great and. I know we're, I'm talking a lot about the Seahawks in this, but and we'll get we'll move on to other teams. But yeah. I just love the fact I mean, that their draft class is unbelievable. Their top six picks are all starters: Charles yeah. Cross, um, what is that? Boy Mafe, uh, Kenneth Walker the third might win the offensive rookie of the year. Everyone initially Seahawks Twitter was having a meltdown when they drafted a running back there, and then uh, a couple cornerbacks and a third round uh, right tackle Abraham Lucas. I still can't believe their fifth round Tariq Woolen might win the de- the defensive rookie of the year, him and uh, Walker were the only two teammates to win offense and then defensive rookies in the month of, of October. A fifth-round no. cornerback with that speed, it's cra- It's amazing to me how NFL evaluators still get the stuff wrong. 100%. It, I, I would say, I will say this, I think the reason why the Seahawks have a turnaround so quick isn't, isn't because, or I mean, obviously the play on the field, but it's because the front office hit on some draft picks again. Like, that was sort of the, uh, the, the one of the trademarks of, of the Seattle success era was that them, Baltimore, they just always know how to do um, New England back in, the, in their in their heyday, just able to to work the draft in a proper way to get the players that fit their profile. Seattle kind of struggled with that for yeah. uh, for a little bit. And yeah. uh, but then but then it was masked because Russell Wilson was an elite quarterback, right? Like elite quarterbacks cover a lot of your mistakes. Mm-hmm. So so but but I mean, you know, as, as a as a hardcore Seahawks fan, you know that the draft hasn't been fruitful lately. No, but no. when you. But but really, I mean, I think that's what the NFL is. You you put together two good draft years, and you you basically have yourself almost set up for success, right? If you can do that back to back, if you can hit like say, if you can hit, I don't know, in in two years, say you get seven draft picks in each year. If you hit even six of those as home runs, six to eight, my goodness, you already fast tracked yourself. So no, it doesn't matter how bad you are. So, um, yeah, good draft picks, and then if they make hay on these next couple, my goodness, this is going to be a be a good, good run for you, man. A, a fun time. Let's move on to, to other stuff in the NFL here. We already touched on Aaron Rodgers a little bit. It is amazing. Back-to-back MVP uh, seasons. And, uh, you know, it just, it just looks completely lost out there. It's amazing how, like, when he didn't have, when he had inferior talent, him or Tom Brady or these other quarterbacks, these mm-hmm. types of stars, it was like, oh, no, it doesn't matter who they have on the team. They're so good. They're able to, like, drag that team to success. Now all of a sudden, completely changed narrative. It's like Aaron Rodgers has no players. It's it's crazy how uh, things have changed in, in Green Bay, and I, I, I must say, I'm here for it. 
<laughs> I think that's that, again, I, I think that goes back to evaluation, you know, like you have to have honest evaluation. So even if he came off his second straight MVP season, I think it's asinine to, to think it. But if you're the front office, you do have to say, hey, skills have diminished a little bit. Right. Or or is, is this guy the same kind of guy that we can carry? And 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 you have to put that into consideration when you decide to do things like trade Devonte Adams. Right. And I just don't think that they thought that through properly. I don't think they had a, a really good contingency plan. And I think they just thought this guy is a two time MVP reigning and uh, we're going to roll with him and he's going to carry us. And you forget, I mean, he's what, 38 years old now. Mm-hmm. Late 30s. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Late 30s. So, you know, the, these games there are these these guys the the odometer on them were fooled because guys like Tom Brady. I mean, even though he's, he's had a struggle this year. These guys just keep churning out great seasons because they, they're more of the exception to the rule. But because we've seen them so frequently, we think this is the norm, right? Same with basketball we're going to talk about. LeBron James, the LeBron James effect. This guy has been playing at a peak level for 20 years. So now you think every guy who's in his 15th season or 16th season, oh, for sure, he's got plenty more in the tank. And I think that what we're seeing is that Father Time is like, yo, check me out over here, right? And I think he's... <laughs> He's coming back to get it. So I don't think that, say for Rodgers, I think Rodgers is still really good and capable, but I think he needs to have a better support system around him, right? Like, And you're right. Before, it used to be, oh, plug anyone in there. He'll be fine. And now it's not the case. And I think you're seeing the same with Brady. Like, he's not if, – if Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are dinged up and the running game is not good anymore and the offensive line is kind of in, in shambles, this guy isn't going to get – get to where he needs to get to and, and make the plays he needs to make. And they're just going to struggle. So I just think it was a bad play by Packers management to, uh, to deal Adams thinking that Rogers could continue to lift the team to, uh, to the heights that they were achieving in the past two years. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as mentioned, it, it's just wild that I still can't completely give up, on the, give up on the Packers until they're officially dead. Just because as we mentioned, Aaron Rodgers has just been so, so good for so long it's just hard for me, my brain, to compute the fact that, yeah, maybe they aren't good anymore, you know? I know they aren't in terms of their wins and losses and such, but uh, I still can't fully wrap my head around that. It's still it's still tough because, I mean, uh, just just before just before this game where he looked so out of sorts, he, he led them to win over the Cowboys, and the Cowboys are a good team, man. Like, the Cowboys are a legit contender in my eyes for, for a Super Bowl, um, and he beat them. And, uh, you know, Christian Watson has coming out party, and it looked like, okay, we've righted the ship, and... Uh, and like they, it's tough because it's a tough opponent to prepare for on on a short week. Uh, the Tennessee Titans are they're tough, man. They're they're not flashy at all, but they are just a solid football team, and and uh, they're like an, a good program. So whether they have their star players or not, or they've lost pieces, they just continue to to kind of use that same program to success, and it's a bad matchup for a team like Green Bay. And uh, yeah, speaking of Tennessee, as you mentioned, yeah, they're not super sexy at all they don't do things that are razzle dazzle whatsoever but they definitely take the personality of their coach mike Vrabel, mike Vrabel, in terms of uh just a real meat potatoes guy as a player and just you know hard nosed tough it's uh it is pretty crazy how they they win all these games and it's like oh wait crap they're like doing really really well like last year they were first in the um, afc going uh going to the playoffs it's like how did that happen one last thing on tennessee is that they lost the first two games to start the year, and mm. I was like everybody else. I'm like, oh, these guys are toast. They don't have AJ Brown. They don't have, uh, and then they just. But it's. But you're right. Like 
when I look at it and I'm like, man, this is this was a number one team, number one seed in the AFC last year. It's not like they just fell off a cliff. I think it just had to be a recalibration. All right, we don't have we don't have um, a guy to pop the top off the defense or this burly receiver to to take everything, but we do have Derrick Henry and we do have a grinding defense. And I think they just kind of readjusted themselves more into their into what their coach wanted. And that's why I think they're a tough out. I, I wouldn't pick them to win a Super Bowl, but my God, I would hate to play these guys in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're definitely a hard-nosed bunch for sure. Now, as uh, we already mentioned, uh, that uh, going into we're recording this going into week 11 of the, of the football season. So by the time this uh, podcast comes out, there might already be an answer for this. But considering you both work for sportsbettingdime.com, I haven't actually looked at the odds recently, but uh, if you were to, were to handicap it, who do you think uh, o- Odell Beckham Jr. is going to go to? Oh, my goodness. I honestly thought he was going back to the Rams. I just thought it was the right position. But the Rams are not going to make the playoffs. Like, they are so bad. They're not even going to make it. I think they're going to finish last in the NFC West. That's how bad they are. Good. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think it uh, it, it does any good for him to end up there. Um, I kind of like the idea of him going to the Cowboys. I think that's an amazing pull. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, it would be very cool. I, I also think he would be amazing with the Packers, but I don't know. Um, I just I hate the way the Packers don't dip into free agency or into trades. They just don't do it. You know, they after they lost out on, um, you know, Claypool, uh, Chase Claypool was available. Um, TJ Hawkinson was available. And Green Bay later on said they made inquiries about it, right? Which is the way of saying it's like, um, it's like how the Boston Celtics that won uh, basically – couple of years ago they were in the running for every player in the in the league that was available so it's like james harden's available oh the celtics are interested oh this and that but what the celtics weren't doing was they weren't offering up anything real mm-hmm. so you can call them and say yeah we, we can give you two uh seven second round picks for this for this all-star player you know it wasn't like they were actually interested i feel i feel like that's what the packers did as well mm-hmm. i feel like they they made inquiries but they didn't really care and so that's why i don't think Odell would be there, but my God, they could use an injection of like legitimate playmaking talent there. So those are my three. Um, I think Dallas would be really, really nice though. What about you? As much as I think it would be kind of uh, randomly cool if uh, Odell Beckham Jr. goes to Seattle, just as a long, crazy long shot, Mm -hmm. uh, just to be kind of funny to link back up with Geno Smith, who was with uh, the Giants there for a year. Um, obviously I don't think it's going to happen in terms of actually realistically happening. I think Kansas city chiefs, they have a, their receiving core is a bit banged up and I'm sure they probably are one of the favorites of, uh, favorites to land him, but imagine him mm-hmm. in a, along with Patrick Mahomes. My goodness. Oh my God. I, I, I felt like I did think them as well, but I feel like they picked up Kadarius Tony. And I think that that might have, uh, kind of taken them out of that situation. Uh, I thought a, a reunion with the giants wouldn't be that bad either. Mm-hmm. I just don't think. The Giants are in a position, even though they've had a really great year and it's like a great bounce back year. I just don't think that that their passing game is something that they're really they're just a grinding team right now. Like if you watch it, uh, watching their games, it's like run the ball, run the ball. Daniel Jones drops back and runs the ball <laughs> as as the as he can't find a receiver. So I don't know if really passing or, or putting Odell in there is going to boost it. I just don't think Daniel Jones is the guy that that can kind of make the plays that they need. With a with an explosive receiver like him, we also don't know, right? We also don't know if Odell is going to be himself. Like he's been out of, he hasn't played since the Super Bowl, and so who knows what kind of an impact he can make? Um, maybe the other one that might be an outside shot. I don't know if they'll do it, but I'm sure the Eagles could also make a run at him. Too. <laughs> wow, adding him to the the uh, that offense would be uh, absolutely scary, especially because they lost uh, tight end Dallas Goddard for the season. So. Yep. 
Oh man, yeah. adding him to that offense, holy! You're, that, yeah, yeah. That, that's actually a good good call. Let's move to NBA, of course. Uh, obviously, yes. that's your your uh, maybe number one love, maybe over NFL. I'm not sure. That's pretty close, I, I, I guess. I think they're, I think football, basketball are my co loves. So you know. For sure. Well, no, but you have, you have to pick one. You have to have a, a favorite. I always talk about this. You know, your favorite <laughs> team or your favorite sport. You have to pick one. What's your favorite sport? Oh my God! I guess I I would still. Oh, this is too tough. You can't, you I would go probably you, you can't have two okay, favorites. I'll go NBA. I'll go NBA slightly favorited over NFL, but oh, those two nice. are way above everything. And then <laughs> in the next tier would be like, I would say probably golf. And then uh, where would I go after that? My God, I'd be all over the place after that. Cricket. Let's just say <laughs> cricket. Let's say hockey and baseball are like whatever. Let's, I don't know. I like baseball. It's just, I mean, maybe I'm like the, I don't know. I feel like uh, the young people are got it right. Like baseball is a lot to take in and watch, man. To sit in, sit in a stadium. It's fun to watch it at a game, but it's a long game to watch, man. So it's funny to me how, uh, we'll, we'll, of course, we will go to NBA here in a sec. But uh, for baseball, how it's like three hour game. Oh my god, it's way too long. Yet college football, four hours, no, no big deal. Or tennis matches, <laughs> five hours, no big deal. Like I don't understand how the U.S. Open they play the tennis matches till like one, one thirty in the morning. And, and it, it's fine. And they're they're totally fine with a quarterfinal or whatever ending at like two in the morning or something like that, Eastern time. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, ah, whatever, it's fine. Like, what? What, yeah. what on earth are we talking about here? I find that very bizarre. But yet baseball at three hours or three hours and a half. Oh my god, that's a bridge too far. Yet these other sports <laughs> are far, far longer. I think I think you're right. I think it's the the problem is is that I think action wise, I think there's a lot um so in tennis it's literally you have 15 seconds after the play ends to get going, right? And I think in baseball, there's a lot of little nuance that kind of slows the game down as opposed to enhancing it and stuff, right? That's really the only reason. But but I get it. If you if you like baseball, and I like baseball too, I just feel like um, even when this this uh, is true too, like I'll go to like a Raptors game and I'll watch it and I think it's great and it's only like two and a half hours. But even then, I'm just itching to like, book it up like go to other games or watch what other what other games are going on i think it's just the, the era that we're in right now so and I, also it's hard to to sit through a college college football people love it whatever you know I, I i think it's fine but i really don't like seeing teams run 55 times in a game and you know it's like old school way of doing it it's just yeah, they need uh, for college football. They need a uh, NFL red zone style channel. Obviously, you're not going to do every single game, but basically just you know hone in on 10, 12 games or whatever, and do an NFL red zone uh, for college football. That I would yeah. watch. Then I would kind of get yeah. into it because otherwise, yeah, it's just uh, I just I want to get into it, but I just can't for some reason. Yeah, 100 percent agree. Um, but yeah, so. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. I love tangents on this podcast. Uh, Where did we go? We should, it should be the H-Dog Pod tangent style. Uh, we went to uh, NBA we were talking about. So, yeah, my, my question yes. to you, actually, about the NBA. Yes. The, the number one, uh, one I want to know about. I know they were awful last year. But uh, so, they, obviously, the Lakers have Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Russell Westbrook. Why on earth are they so brutal? Oh, my goodness. This is a great question. Um, Thank you. Okay. So, they're bad. Uh, they're a bad team. And I think it's 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 a combination of a lot of things. I think the first one that I, I talked about a little bit, it's that LeBron James effect. It's that we, we've seen him just be at peak powers for all this time that we just think, oh, yeah, he's pencil him in, pencil him in for, you know, 28 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, and his teams are going to be competitive. But as we're starting to learn, like he's not even if he's even if he puts up those kind of numbers, it's the all the other parts of the game that aren't that aren't good. And so the Lakers team uh, uh, as assembled 
they just don't have enough. So they'll tell they'll tell you that uh, you know there's not enough shooting on the squad, and it's true. They're the worst three point shooting team in the league. And um, and the other part is Anthony Davis was supposed to take over the reins from LeBron and be like the man. Um, and that was sort of the plan. It was like it was LeBron's sort of passing the torch over, let AD become the centerpiece of everything, and and he would play like the you know the Dwayne Wade role to Shaq or the Kobe to Shaq. But that's never materialized, right? Uh, Davis has been injured mm-hmm. like repeatedly, and then the the one t- part that's crazy in the, all the struggles of the Lakers, the one great development, I kid you not is Russell Westbrook accepting the role of being a sixth man. And he's absolutely crushed it in the two weeks or so that he's t- taken on that role. So of all the people that took the most fury, uh, Westbrook is the one that's readjusted to everything that they've asked him to do. And he's done it really well. So he's not actually the problem. It's it's the rest of the team that's been built. And it's the diminished play of LeBron and then the not elevated play of Davis, if that makes any sense for sure well i'm always uh, i love watching my pardon the, pardon the interruption especially for basketball stuff because i mm. admittedly uh, it's probably like my i guess my fourth sport but uh well, of, of the main four sports i mean uh of course sure. golf would be a much higher but um <laughs> sure. but uh, but uh you know i'm a few episodes or sorry a few weeks behind which i always love to see hearing mike wilbon and tony kornheiser their takes being mm. woefully wrong it's hilarious but yes. uh, the last time I watched an episode for them, they were just trashing uh, Russell Westbrook, saying he was brutal. So it's fascinating to me that uh, I guess obviously he's uh, figured that out as, as the sixth sixth man. Very rare do I find uh, athletes who go from like superstardom to be able to, like Vince Carter did a really good job of this, from superstardom yep. to actually accepting a lesser role. It's very, very rare, I find. Yeah. I mean, the Vince Carter model is actually would be ideal, right? Super duper star. And then literally slid into this secondary role and it, it's gradual right it he went in when he went to new jersey he was still from toronto he went to new jersey and he was still pretty good then i think he went to orlando and it was like he was still there but you could tell he was no longer vince and then he ended up in phoenix and then he hopped around everywhere else and he literally just slid in as a regular bench player um i think the greatest example of someone not willing to accept the role was alan iverson i was just gonna bring wouldn't, him up wow well done. wouldn't yeah wouldn't come off the bench uh refused to said he was a starter um, not realizing that he could have preserved his career by another five or six years just being um, just a killer on second units. He probably would have won sixth man of the year repeatedly if he did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Westbrook is on his way to doing that, like to, to becoming a sixth man. He's so good. Um, he's so much better than second units. He's just, he is. But But like, you know, they figure out, you know, he's not able to shoot and they focus too much on that sort of stuff with them. And instead of the things that he does really well, he plays really hard, attacks the basket really hard. And I think that that's still enough to be successful in the league. And I think that that once they start piling on you, as in you can't play anymore, like to say that Russell Westbrook can't play anymore is actually pretty ludicrous. Like you can find ways for him. And I think that um, give credit to Darvin Ham first year coach to be willing to go up to uh, a past MVP and multiple all-star and tell him, this is how it's going to be. You got to, you, you got to trust me, but this is how it's going to be. And he did. And so really good for him. It's not helping the Lakers as a team. They just, they still struggle. So yeah, I mean, but if you look at it, the other part I was going to say is all the guys with all the superstar players, minus like the guys in their prime, like, like Giannis, I mean, they're, you know, and the Bucks are killing it. But look at the Lakers. They're 14th, and they've got LeBron uh, and AD. Look at uh, Brooklyn, which is 
I mean, unto itself, a, just a circus, but they're in 11th in the East. Golden State with Steph Curry, they're 13th in the West. Weird, I think eh? it's, yeah. it's, it's wild because I think it's like these, like, again, it's that effect. These guys are like veteran players. They've been in the league 13, 14, 15 years. And I don't think that we just keep thinking like Steph Curry is a baby, right? He's also having a, an, a, a tremendous year, right? But you got to keep surrounding them with, with, continuous growth and continuous better players for golden state they they do have that young nu- nucleus but it's just not advancing as much as they'd like to i also think they might be playing a little bit of nba championship hangover and they'll probably get it together in the second half but for the lakers and like brooklyn i, I just don't see like kevin durant is playing at a super high level and they're just not good enough right so i think that teams have to do a better job of surrounding their stars with uh with better players and better rosters um, you know, these are kind of like for, especially for Durant and LeBron, these are like wasted years now, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't know how many years these guys have left. For sure. And uh, I guess if I can make a comparison to ice hockey, he, 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 um, you know, the, <laughs> the Warriors and these teams are these amazing veterans, like the Chicago Blackhawks and the LA Kings, like they won multiple cups. Yeah. And I was kind of like the Blackhawks, you know, still with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. It's like, how are they so brutal? They still have this core of, you know, being yeah. unbelievable players, but they just had no one else around them type thing. Uh, and of yeah. course, you, you brought up uh, Kevin Durant. I, there was a quote that he said recently, uh, maybe a week or so ago, whatever it was, that basically, yeah. essentially, it's me and always. He didn't say this, of course, but me and always bums. Uh, what did you yeah. think of his comments there? I personally, like, I just, I'm just not a fan of saying something like that. You know, I'm more of the uh, for all the stuff that LeBron does that's rude. The one thing he never does is criticize his team. They've asked him numerous times to rip on Westbrook after he had like an 0 for 11 shooting game or whatever, and he just won't do it. And I think that I don't. I don't think that it was um, Durant's thing was malicious in, in in at the moment, but it's just not well thought out to be like, look at look at these guys. You think we're supposed to win? Well, yeah, you should win, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's part of the reason of being a star and kind of carrying your you know carrying your team. But um, but that's what I mean with with uh, these guys. Like it, you know, Durant's in year fifteen, coming off an Achilles. Uh, he's been injured with, you know, he's had knee injuries and stuff. And, you know, he's maybe not that good to, to keep up with his roster. He would, I would never say that though. And I think that it's kind of, you know, messed up that he did say that. Meanwhile, he's not, he's not willing to, uh, he also said, I'm not going to go and tell a grown man to do something in regards to Kyrie. Right. So he's willing to not go after Kyrie or say anything to Ky- about Kyrie, but then he's willing to say that about his other teammates that are actually available and playing with them and stuff. Right. So just not a good look, but you know, again, this guy doesn't, I'm not really sure where, where his head's at either. So just I'm, not a good look. I'm glad you brought up, of course, Kyrie. Obviously we'd have to talk about him. I assume you're a huge Kyrie Irving guy and you love all of his oh, takes on life. Could, couldn't have been happier with the last couple of weeks. My God, is there any other way to to alienate yourself and uh, and not play basketball either, which is what you're what you're actually known for? So, oh my God, what a fascinating, you know. fascinating character. Like, uh, you know, uh, it just it blows my mind uh, from the outside looking in. I don't follow the team all the time, but how like Kyrie can just constantly, basically, play the victim, and uh, it just it just blows my mind how uh, he just can't get out of his own way. Very talented player. Just can't yeah. get out of his own way. You know, the thing is, he's a bright guy. He knew he knew how to handle that situation better, but he just wanted to be like more defiant and stuff. And that's fine if you want to do that. But then you're going to pay the consequences, you know, like and it's the thing that's tough is like there's a lot of it's tough now in this, you know, social media world and everything that there's so many takes on this. Right. There's so many like 
once the league decided what they were going to do, a lot of people were like, well, why does he have to jump through all these hoops for everything? And, you know, all that stuff. And I don't want to get into all that, all those things. But my thing is this, if you do something and it rubs people the wrong way, I mean, it could have been solved easy. could have been like my mistake, learning, I'd like to apologize. I'm not anti-Semitic and just move on. Um, but by doubling down and saying I have an army of people supporting me or backing me, just continuing to do that and not really kind of taking control of the situation and just letting it kind of fester and stuff and just trying to be defiant. Like, you know, I've texted with a couple of my friends. We're in a group chat. <laughs> One of the things they said is, does this, does this guy ever want to be happy? Like, why? You know what I mean? Like, you know, he, he just uh, he just brings that. Lately, it's, that's been his thing. And it's just like, I remember saying, like, you know, he could totally, if, if his whole thing was all these causes, you know, he could, he doesn't have to be in the spotlight to do it. He could just continue to do great things in the, in the background with his foundation and everything. But he just, I think he just wants to be, wants to find these things and be defiant and, and just kind of prove that he's the smartest guy in the room. It's really, I don't know why, but it's just grating to see it and stuff. So huge fan of his play, you know, I mean, as you know, I'm a monstrous LeBron fan. So seeing him and LeBron together and win a title was like one of the great moments to watch. But since then, since he's left, um, he's been all over the place, right? And just kind of, it just keeps going. So I don't know. It's pretty crazy. Uh, well, I have a solution for the LA Lakers, uh, you know, uh, uh, follies so far. I have a solution that will benefit everyone, of course. Kyrie yes. Irving getting traded to the LA Lakers, the team back up with LeBron. <laughs> Imagine the circus. Yo, man. Crazier <laughs> things have happened. But like, honestly, I feel like that's one of the things that can happen. That's totally something that's in play. I, I don't. I mean, I think the internet would explode, but yep. it's wild, right? So I think that, uh, I mean, they, the Lakers desperately need it. They're actually talking about trading uh, Anthony Davis and was it Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook to Brooklyn and their draft picks for Kevin Durant and Russell West or and uh, Kyrie Irving. Wow, I was like, that would be crazy. You, yeah, it would be wild if they did that. I don't know if. Um, I mean, Brooklyn resets basically with Anthony Davis and they have the Lakers two draft picks, first round picks. But I don't know, man. I, I don't know if it's a, it's a wild scenario, but there's a lot of stuff in play. We'll see what happens. I think more than likely it's, it's just going to the Lakers are going to try to do some things around the around the fringes of their roster. I think Brooklyn's going to just see what they have with, with Kyrie. And I just don't think there's going to be any action until the offseason. To be honest, what I do love about the NBA is there actually are like big time trades and big time signings, and there's a, the hot stove for the NBA is absolutely incredible. There's the league is definitely never boring, you know, like uh, you know week in and week out. There's always a lot of stuff going on and a lot of drama. So uh, there's there's no shortage of uh, things to talk about with the NBA. That's for sure. It's it's like uh, whenever we think there's going to be a quiet off season, there's no free agents, there's no stars available. There's always something that happens. So so yeah, you're right. It's pretty fun to watch. Sometimes it's sad. it's sad to play out though. Like, my God, there's been so many not great things about the league this year. Like, uh, Kawhi Leonard is still hurt. You know, he's played he's played a total of 40 minutes since coming back from his uh, from his knee surgery in the offseason, and they don't know when he's going to come back. So, it's like, man, he's not available. You know, the whole Kyrie thing. You know, the Lakers suck. Um, it's just like one of these things where it's like, man, can we just get some better stories? You know, there's. But the thing is, is these young stars are, are kind of, you know, making making moves. You know, Luka Doncic has been on fire to start the year, which is awesome. Um, Shea uh, Gilgis-Alexander, like Canadian, he's been outstanding. Shea Gilgis-Alexander Shea Gilgis absolutely grabbed the mantle of best Canadian basketball player on the planet. 
It's crazy. I never, I would never have guessed it. Um, funny thing is, a few years ago, I had written a story about um, they kept talking about Canadian basketball and it was on the map and everything. And look at them dominating the NBA. And that was just like when Andrew Wiggins had shown up. And and uh, a few years after that, I wrote an article saying like, who's the star? So I did like a power rankings of the best players in the NBA and uh, best Canadian players in the NBA. And I think at the time, I think I had like Tristan Kelly, Thompson. Kelly, o- was the best. Kelly Olenek, maybe? Kelly Olenek was a top five player at that time, right? Like, there just, there wasn't. So they had talked about this great renaissance of like Canadian basketball, but no one, not even one player came close to like the status or stature of like a Steve Nash in terms of impact on the game. Um, but now, Shea Gilders Alexander, like, not only is he incredible and a top five player and putting up 30 a game, he's actually the number one trade bait right now. Like, OKC is probably going to deal him for probably three more first round picks <laughs> to give him like, what is it, 700 over the next eight seasons? Exactly. Like, it's crazy how many. For, I love that so much, by the way, that they have uh, literally like 78 first round picks. <laughs> it's the best. But like he's worked his, his, his way into this huge like void and he's going to be a star now. Like he's amazing. And I thought that I honestly thought that the person that was going to be the star out of all this was R.J. Barrett. So. Um, and then that being said, Andrew Wiggins had his renaissance in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So it's between like Wiggins and, and Gilgis Alexander for the best player, best Canadian player. And after that, the drop off is pretty steep. But at least we have like guys that are in, within the top. I would say that Shea is going to be an all star this year and he's probably a top 15 player now. So we'll see. It's pretty cool. Uh, well, speaking of Andrew Wiggins and his uh, teammate, this is actually a player that I've fascinating by fascinated by because I, uh, like I said, don't watch every game. But uh, if, if the, as the Warriors did win the title, I would have thought the, one of the reasons was because their second overall pick, James Wiseman, was you know going to be a superstar, a stud type thing. Um, what's going on with him? Because it, it, it just blows my. It, could, it fascinates me the fact that like they won and he didn't even play at all in the playoffs, if, if I'm not mistaken. Like he was nothing, but yet uh, yeah. yeah, he was second overall pick. He's a stud. Um, I mean, he was a stud coming out of college. Didn't get a lot of reps in college because of uh, of like, those NCAA sanctions against Memphis, but. Um, He's a good player. He just and he got hurt in his first year, and he kind of hasn't really been able to find his way onto that roster, which is crazy because, besides Kevon Looney, I mean Draymond Green is an undersized big man, but there's no other reliable big man on the roster. So, literally, he could slide in and just play well and be a and and not star, but a great player on this team. Um, and I just don't think it's it's happened for him. And that's part of the what I was saying before about Golden State. At least they have the players available who can make that jump to kind of bridge the gap of like, you know, Steph, Clay, Draymond um, to, to kind of bridge it so that they continue to contend. But he's one of the guys that, that has to kind of um, lift it. But you're right. It's uh, in spite of not having the number two overall pick uh, from a couple of years ago, play any prominent role. Golden state is still, was still won a title. I think that this might be a good chance for him to kind of, you know, uh, reevaluate or, or kind of get back into like, enjoying basketball again for Wiseman but um maybe they, they keep them I don't know but I think there's still a there's still lots of teams out there that would love to have this guy potentially kind of rebuild him or or turn him into a star on their team it's happened a lot of times with top draft picks not panning out and then and finding you know greener pastures somewhere else so maybe that's a play for Golden State later on like let him go to the G League let him put up some you know put up some big games maybe a couple of games with a big club and then maybe they can transfer him to get him a little bit more help um if they try to defend their title it's interesting interesting to me how in the NBA like if a you know top the first overall pick or the second overall pick is no good they trade him within like a year and a half like it just fascinates me that uh, teams are so yeah. quick to pull the trigger on stuff like that 
part of the thing that I like about the NBA, though, is, is the reason why they pull these triggers and everything is because um, it's fleeting, right? The, the NBA season and rosters are fleeting. Like, you can be successful. There's no more five-year plans, right? It's like, let's build a team now. Let's see if we can win a title. And then after that, you know, who knows what the void is afterwards. It's kind of like this whole L.A. Rams model of winning. I actually really like it. It's like, who cares about that? Let's just win right now, which is – and I know this is not popular, but – that's why I would have traded. Um, I would have traded if I was the Raptors. I would have traded for Kevin Durant. Like, you know, nothing else is guaranteed right now. But putting one of the best players in the NBA on a roster built to win a championship that doesn't have a superstar gives you a chance to compete for a title for the next four years. I know it sucks. You know, Scotty Barnes is, is the rookie of the year and he's a great player, and he and he potentially could be a great player. But I've always I have this not argument, but I just my my whole thing is, look, is Scotty Barnes going to have a, a better career than Kevin Durant? Is he going to have, is one of his best years going to match a year of Kevin Durant's? And if it, and if the answer is no to either of those, then, then you know, he's a, you know, you know that you could probably make a deal and try to contend for championships. I kind of wonder like, what's it about? You know, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to win a title or not? Like I know people are saying right now, <laughs> the number one prospect probably they've seen since LeBron James is uh, the seven, four French kid, Victor Wembanyama, Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've seen some of his highlights, but this kid is yeah. an absolute alien. Yeah, it's, he is. It's like, imagine Yao Ming with like, uh, with Kyrie guard skills and shooting like Clay Thompson. It's, it's absolutely the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. So they're saying now, um, New Orleans is in line for this pick because they have they, the Lakers traded basically a King's ransom to get Anthony Davis. And one of those pick, one of those uh, uh, draft assets was pick swaps in 2023. So if the Lakers bought them out, which they are, um, New Orleans is in line for a lottery pick, and they could land this guy. So they're like, "Oh, would you rather have uh, an NBA title or Victor Wembanyama?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know. I obviously it'd be cool to have that kid, but I also I want to win titles, right? So no, it was a successful." A successful uh, trade because you want to chip. That's the whole purpose of playing, right? You're playing to win. So that's so that's why NBA teams shouldn't hold on to people and shouldn't, you know. It's like, do you want to win now? Let's make a move now. Like that's what you have to do. So that's just my thoughts on that. <laughs> no, I, I love it. Like yeah, like we said, just go for it, and uh, it might not work. But at least you could say to your fans and, and to your uh, locker room or whatever that you know we're going all in to try to win a championship, which is obviously what it's all about. Uh, absolutely now let's, let's shift gears here uh toward the end of this podcast we, we could literally be talking for another like 61 oh, hours but my uh, god yes <laughs> it's been great so far uh let's go to uh, some tv shows i know we obviously love to watch uh programs and i love I'm, I'm uh we're, i was saying this to, before this podcast started to you eric that i am wildly crazy like I, I i no one is as good as me uh brag about like switching up uh, TV shows from like a reality show to like a super drama to like a murder uh, documentary to like a, it, it is insane how I'll go from one thing to another. But do you have any shows um, that you're currently watching or, or have watched that you uh, would love to recommend? Yes, I would love to. By the way, your your um, ability to hop between sort of different genres and actually enjoy them, I think to me is that's actually pretty wild because most people kind of stay in their lanes and stuff. So um, I don't think my mine are as extreme as yours, but I'm kind of in that same pool where I can enjoy a bunch of different things. So a couple of things that I that I think are first of all, I have to shamefully admit one thing: I'm probably the last person on planet Earth that watches uh, Walking Dead. I've and never, so never seen it. Never seen it. 
Oh, don't worry. You're not missing anything. So it's the final <laughs> season. Um, I've basically hate watched it for the last, I don't know, five years. Um, <laughs> we used to watch, we used to watch it as a family. Um, everybody just dropped off. It's just literally me. And I have to watch it at weird times of the day because I PVR'd and nobody wants to be there for it. So it's that bad. Um, eh? Wow. It's, it, I mean, it's just like one of those things, uh, actually the other night. So I've, I PVR'd a bunch of them and I'm trying to watch them cause I was away for a bit, but, um, my wife was like, you know, saw a character and she said, Oh, who's that? And I tried to explain it because the last time she watched it was like eons ago and it, that character didn't even exist. And I tried to say, Oh, it's this. And she was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> she was, she was out. So, uh, walking dead, absolute, absolute season finale of the, of the original, uh, is this Sunday. So I've been watching that. Don't do it. Just whatever. Uh, one I will recommend that I do want you to watch is The Bear. Oh, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, it's on uh, it's on FX. I think you can find it on the Disney Channel. But Ooh. basically, it's a it's a story about um, this chef, and he takes over his deceased brother's sandwich shop in. Uh, oh my God, what city is it? Is it in New York? Is it? In New York? I forget where. But basically, it's like um, behind the scenes of like restaurants uh operating oh it's in boston i think yeah restaurant of, of operating a restaurant a sandwich shop and it's just fascinating it's like it's really cool it's really really well done and just great great characters they built so that's a really good one i know that you're big into uh into big brother and all that stuff and sure. I, you know i've never really been on the reality train but my god if there's ever a show that i've ever hate watched more uh it has to be love is blind season three yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, it was Chicago the Bear. Uh, that, that, that's where. Oh, Chicago. Sorry about that. Love is blind. <laughs> My God, I've railed about this in this podcast before. I've only seen the first season, to be fair. But again, the show was cool the first episode or so. But then the whole concept of the show—maybe it's different in season three. You tell me that right now. The whole concept of the show was over within the first episode because the whole point of the show was they weren't actually seeing each other. They were just talking and figuring out, figuring out if they liked each other. The whole concept of the show was over by the end of the first episode because then they, then they saw each other. The Love is Blind show was over. The whole concept was done. So after episode one, I thought it was stupid. Is it the same way in Maybe season three? It is exactly the same way. It is an absolute, absolute train wreck. You're right, though. It's like, okay, let's find out if they can do it. And then these people get engaged, like within 10 days of not seeing each other and talking to each other. And then literally they, they show their lives to, you know, they basically have to get together and figure out their lives. So, um, no, it's an absolute train wreck. And, and even the concept of having like the Lachey's, Nick Lachey and his wife, Vanessa Lachey, they're like the purveyors of, of just pain. You know, they, they, they always say, oh, we want to see if love is blind, but you don't, you actually want to see these people's lives unravel horribly. Right. Um, and that's really what the show is. So no, it's a, uh, it's terrible. Um, uh, this year I watched it, hated it, but kept watching. <laughs> so you're, you, uh, then, the, I'm getting, sensing a theme here. You hate watch a lot of television shows. Oh, I mean, like Walking Dead. I mean, ever since I'm not even kidding. Like, basically, ever since like season two or season three, I've wanted all the characters to die, and just like I hate everything when I'm watching it. It's just miserable. Yeah. Uh, there's like, but there's there's like one nugget in each maybe twelve episodes where I'm like, oh my god, that's actually pretty cool, and that's really what I look for in it. So, um, but Love Is Blind is actually like. Just it's just horrible to watch people's lives unravel. But then, then again, you know, I think about shows like The Bachelor, where 
you know, 12 or 15 women fawn over one dude. And like this one dude gets to make out with 12 women in a night. Oh, I'm really loving this. No, oh, this is the best moment ever. Oh, I'm so into this, right? Like, it's just ridiculous. So, um, anyways, Love is Blind. That being said, check out Love is Blind season three. <laughs> yeah. Having said that, <laughs> check yeah. out the show. Uh, I know you have a penchant for all different shows. I know that we're big uh, lovers of uh, Line of Duty. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Line so, of Duty, honestly, is the greatest, one of the best shows of all time, in my opinion. Exactly. And as we're waiting for the, uh, the next uh the next season, which is amazing that it's happening. Oh, is it? Um, I, oh, know that, I thought it yeah, was. There's, there's, there's a season seven coming up. Oh, but uh, but they have another show, like a British uh, crime show. It's called The Capture, and it's on Amazon Prime. And basically, uh, it's it, it's the second season, but you should watch the, the first one. It's basically about how in London or the UK, they have, um, they have uh, closed-circuit TV cameras everywhere. And um, there's some unruly groups that are kind of manipulating that footage to create uh, uh, some uh, some kind of seedy situ- situations which will get people in trouble with the law and stuff but the first season was great they did a recap uh, they did a, a next season of the capture part two and it's amazing it's a really great show so i would highly recommend that and and if you're into some like weird shows on netflix i actually watched a couple of episodes of uh, i am a stalker <laughs> that's incredible so that's why I, I think I've seen that pop up on my things. I, I had a little bit of a maybe a two week span of watching like three or four different murder murder documentaries. One of them on Netflix was uh, Bad Mother or something along those lines. It was, yeah, she obviously, as the name suggests, she wasn't the nicest mother of all time. But uh, I haven't seen that one though. The yeah, the one you mentioned there. Yeah, so this I am stalker. They basically they they tell the stories of like the stalker surviving, um, but they also include the people that are now in jail for stalking and stuff and. You talk to like you watch these people that are in jail and they're just like, oh, I, you know, we just got to talking and I thought that it was a really nice friendship. And then they go to the actual person and they're like, this person was following me every day for, you know, calling me 30 times a day and texting. It's like, how do you not see this? So they're just they're super crazy is what I'm trying to say. Man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whew, that's a quite the trip. I, I would say the <laughs> couple of different shows that I've uh, sort yeah, of yeah, gone into yours, is I don't, I don't know if you've seen White Lotus. Uh, oh, uh, how did I forget? What a show, man! It's I haven't amazing. seen any of season two yet, but yeah, the season one basically, there every character is a miserable sin, and they're all just really crappy people, basically rich people uh, going to Hawaii for a uh, trip. I think it's only six yep. episodes or something like that. Uh, oh, very amazing. very fascinating show. Um, not, not to the extent of hate watching, but uh, I used to love uh, Big Mouth, uh, the cartoon on Netflix. I don't know if, I'm not sure if you've seen that no, one. I've not seen it. Have not seen it. The first two seasons were really good. It started started to get a little bit ridiculous. Uh, uh, you know, uh, basically it's about like uh, kids who are like going through puberty or whatever type thing, and like they're like you mm-hmm. know in grade eight or something like that. And it's really really okay. uh, there's a lot of like uh, Nick Crawl is like the, the the creator of the show. It's, it's, it is fascinating the first few seasons. It's starting to get off a little bit. Yeah, it's some bad oh. tangents, I guess. But uh, uh, have you seen the uh, the rehearsal on uh, HBO? Uh, basically, it's... Uh, I can't remember the guy's last name. Nathan. The guy from Nathan for you, he essentially rehearses people's lives down to a T uh, in, in terms of trying to uh, get them to um, understand how, you know, how it might be to be a parent. So he basically rehearses everything to try to get them to... <laughs> It's a really, it's a really huge mind uh, trip. So basically, essentially, the first episode is there's a guy who has um, a secret that he hasn't said in like 20 years to his like trivia partner, and that is that he uh, doesn't actually have a master's degree or something. 
So in, okay. in his head, he's built this up that she's going to be so angry with him for telling him the secret. And so essentially Nathan comes in and rehearses every possible permutation of their uh, interaction when he does actually tell her. So that everything is completely laid out and every scenario uh, methodically gone through. And then when the actual conversation happens, the guy has already gone through in his head all of these different scenarios. And then he's, of course, uh, then you see how, how it plays out in real, real time type thing. Very, very uh, fascinating show. It's a very, like, uh, you know, a bit of a mind meld, which is uh, uh-huh. quite good. Of course, I couldn't, uh, speaking of reality, going back to reality TV, I couldn't, uh, of course, end this off without saying it's so exciting it's back. It's not quite the same without uh, host Anderson Cooper and the old music, uh. but The Mole is back on. Uh, I love that. Probably my favorite reality show is, actually. If I had to pick a favorite, you can't have four uh-huh. favorites. If I had to pick a favorite reality show, it would have been The Mole. And it's back on Netflix, and it's really, really good. I remember that show a lot, The Mole. Is it new episodes, or is it just rerunning the old one? No, new ones. Yep, 10 episodes. Uh, with a, a, Oh, a, they're new. Yeah, and the host is really, really good. She's, a, she's a excellent, Alex. But uh, just like the old, they used to have a bit more of a spy game element to it with the music being, you know, sort of mysterious and such. They don't quite cool, have that man. anymore. But no, it's uh, they put it on the American Netflix, uh, the old ones. And I guess people uh, liked it, so they thought, okay, that, that, we'll, we'll make new ones. And oh, cool. I, I saw it trending in Canada for quite a while, so I'm assuming they'll uh, have more seasons, which I hope, because it's definitely, uh, you know, every time, for those who haven't watched the show, essentially the, there's a group of people, they're playing games to win money, but one of them is a mole trying to screw them over, uh, you know, very, very subtly, though. And no one knows who the mole is. So anytime anyone messes up, it's like it's because they just messed up. Do they mess up because they're trying to act like the mole? Are they actually the mole? Are they not? Like it, every little thing everyone is reading into because at the end of the episodes, they take a quiz on who they think the mole is. And if they're wrong, they're gone. So it's, there's no voting out like other reality shows. It's essentially you have to be observing a lot. And as fans, we don't know who the mole is either. So we're trying to figure it out as well. Uh, very, mm-hmm. very brilliant show. is well ahead of its time. I think that's why Americans... Uh, didn't love it about 20 years ago. It wasn't a brainless uh, reality show, but it's a mm-hmm. very, very fascinating concept. I remember Anderson Cooper on that show, and I remember it used to be like people running around with their heads cut off and then catch him sitting in a piazza drinking a cappuccino or something. <laughs> and he was always like had these like candid shots of him just hanging out in these luxurious places in Europe and stuff. But mm-hmm. it was a good show, man. Yeah, no, that, definitely recommend the first, the new one uh, that's back. First episode I thought was just okay. It wasn't super exciting for it being a first one again, but that really picks up episode two and uh, just sucks you in because you're trying to figure out. Like I said, every little thing, they made a really good job of making everyone look suspicious. So uh, very, very uh, good show. I hope that they continue doing many more episodes for sure. Um, cool, man. The last one I wanted to mention was, this is just driving me just bonkers right now. It's uh, the, I want to watch the season final of uh, Better Call Saul. Yeah, here's the crazy thing. So good for all these for all these years. I've just had it uh, scheduled in for PVR. Um, a couple of years ago, I was like, you know what? I haven't watched a couple of seasons, so you know what? I'm just gonna cancel these PVRs. And then this, the final season came on, and you guys were like, you know, we were talking about it. And you're like, you gotta check it out. You gotta check. So I watched it. I pounded the last, you know, the couple of seasons, and then the final season isn't anywhere. You can't stream it anywhere. So I had the opportunity to PVR this last year, and now I don't have it. Mm. So. That sucks. It's almost like uh, there was one year where I watched, um, where I was just binged um, Mr. Robot, and they didn't have the final season either anywhere. And it's just like, ah, oh, it just kills the momentum because you're ready to to catch it and you're ready to see like what's gonna happen. And then 
you're like, come on, this can't be real. Like, I think it is available, but you got it's not even reasonable for a payment. You got to pay like, I think it's 50 bucks to no, watch it. I'm like, no, thank you. Come on, man. That's not right. <laughs> no, no chance. <laughs> that ain't fair. So I think, I think that's the only thing I, uh, well, no, it is the only thing on my PVR that I record from AMC, like nothing else at all. Just whenever it came on the PVR. Oh, perfect. Better call Saul's back. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You'll, 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 you'll enjoy it for sure. I immediately regret PV, not PVRing Better Call Saul and keeping my PVR schedule for Walking Dead. Oh, dear God, kill me. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we'll wrap things up. Uh, I do want to ask you one thing, though, however, uh, before yeah. uh, we do leave. Uh, uh, what's uh, uh, We'll talk about the fact that you're going on, you've been on a lot of trips and you're going on one coming up here. Uh, yes. What's more annoying to you, though, uh, hearing about people talking about their fancy football teams? Or people complaining about uh, planes being delayed or those types of things. What what's just more annoying to you uh, to hear from people? One hundred percent fantasy. One hundred percent. I just I just can't stand it. I can't stand it, and I try my best not to ever bring it up to anyone ever. Even even when we're talking about it, I just don't do it. Is there any um, part of you that's interested in any way, shape, or form if someone else talks about their team? I mean, like I think I have to be into it. So, like for example. If I'm at a fantasy football draft, or as they call it now, I think it's Nerd World or something like that. Yeah, you can talk about it. It's cool with me. Um, you have to be in the mood of talking about fantasy to do it. But you can't just you can't just like talking about fantasy randomly. So you're out for dinner, and then all of a sudden you start being like, "Oh my God, I got 31 points from Jacoby Brissett this week." It's like no, it's a non-starter, right? But if you're in the mode and you're talking about it, like if someone approaches you and they're talking about. Um, a trade that got offered and you're both fantasy guys and it's fine, but you just can't be bringing up fantasy without people like with people who don't play fantasy or, or no, no concept of it. It's a, it's a non-starter. You can't bring it up. So, okay. Um, so, uh, I, I must say, uh, I know we were just talking about railing about how stupid it is and people talking about their fantasy teams, but I have to, I have to do this, Eric. I have to, okay. uh, there was a trade offer that I got from uh, a mutual friend who's also <laughs> been on this podcast and I couldn't believe okay. it. Jordan coffee, Offered me an injured, an injured Kyler Murray and Alvin Kamara for the better running back right now, Travis Etienne and Patrick Mahomes. And I was like, come on, don't insult my intelligence. Do better coffee. Come on. That was unbelievable. That, unbelievable. Of course, that's, uh, yeah. I know. I, generally speaking, yeah. Anyone that's like, please tell me more about your fantasy team. It's just like, oh, God. But, but like I said, people complaining about uh, trains or, or planes being delayed. Holy crap. What's going on there? Man, they finally get you. It's finally coming. <laughs> it's about, They're getting you, man. It, it, it is about time, man. This Gardner Highway or Gardner Expressway, it's got always action on it and stuff. So, um, but no, you're right. Fantasy, yeah. It, oh, and you're talking about uh, about travel. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not one of the people that. Um, I guess I'm I'm a I'm an avid watcher of that stuff. Like, I like hearing. I like people complaining about stuff. I want to see what they're talking about when they talk about travel. I don't. I mean, I don't do it. The only person that hears my gripes about travel is my wife. And that's usually while we're at the airport and I'm super annoyed at like what's going on right now. <laughs> like I just like like if you ask her, you can hear me basically turning into a turning into an a-hole on the spot. Like uh, <laughs> like someone like someone like slowly devolving into a werewolf uh, with a full moon. It's like just me when they when we get into a line and then someone tells us, oh, you're actually at this gate. I'm like, what are you talking? And then that's it. Just already bad mood. And then we get to another place and there's like, I get mad when I'm like going through customs and they, they have like eight desks, but there's only two people working. And now a lineup will take you four hours to get through and stuff like that kind of stuff just drives me mad. Right. So, 
but no, I never, so I never post about it or anything. Basically, you're doing exactly what I was saying. That you're talking about your travel plans that frustrate you. It's like, okay, I, my eyes have already glossed over, you know? Uh, you're basically, you're turning into a character of The Walking Dead, I guess. Just, uh, you're just like, oh, God, this is brutal. But you have oh, had, my God. You've had so many opportunities. I, I, every time I look, you're on social media. You're going to this place and that place. What's going on with all that? Uh, it's pretty amazing. Where'd you, where'd you go? Oh. Uh, this summer we went to, um, I went to Vegas. My wife took me for my birthday, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we went to, we ended up going to a wedding, uh, in Winnipeg and then we ended up going to Spain, best, um, best. with his, uh, Madrid and we went to Malaga and fun fact, we actually went to this, we chose to go to Malaga instead of going to like Barcelona or somewhere else, just cause it was a little bit more off the path. Mm-hmm. And this week on the amazing race, the United States version, they went to Malaga, Spain. And so it was super cool to see them standing in all the spots that we were hanging out at. That is uh, that is pretty cool. Yeah, I, actually, I went to Malaga last year when I went to Spain uh, uh, for the oh. all-expensive golf trip. So that was an that was an yeah. all-expenses paid oh, you, golf trip. It was amazing. Yeah. I didn't know you went to Malaga as well. How cool is that, man? Oh, yeah. It was... Uh, yeah, it's just a different way of life. It's just uh, everyone's just so much more relaxed and chill there, right? Everyone's friendly. Yeah. It's just uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So, and then now we're uh, for the for the winter, uh, we put together a trip. We're gonna go with um, uh, stepson and his partner. We're gonna be checking out uh, Joshua Tree. So we're going to Palm Springs and doing a little trip over to Joshua Tree, and then from there, hopefully, turn it into a trip to. We're not sure yet if we're gonna be going to. Uh, driving over to LA or if we're going to drive over to Las Vegas, but that's sort of a plan for, for January. So we're just planning that right now. And when, when, uh, before you, before you called and we started this, I was just, uh, figuring out all the, uh, all the parts of that, that trip. Wow. I've never heard of Joshua tree before. So you're, uh, you're living the, the high life and the, in the lap of luxury. <laughs> I wish, I wish it was, uh, man, by the way, have you ever traveled first class? I've never done it. No. I want to, I want to sleep in one of these egg beds and, and uh, and have all this fun, but no, I haven't done that, man. So it's still I won't complain about about the about the seat sizes either. I think uh, I think I've worn out my time with that. But. Oh man, yeah, there's there's it is fascinating, and of course they put it in put it in a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes. The uh, the travel etiquette or the lack thereof from people, it's uh, it is actually oh. amazing. Uh, you just in, in your head, you're just like, really? That's just amazing that you think that's cool. Yeah, dude. How about when Larry David? The plane was about to crash, and she called Larry and his <laughs> wife. Called and he's like, "Hey, do you know what? Was it the remote he was looking for? The, the TiVo or, guy. TiVo. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I got the TiVo guy. He's never here. I don't, <laughs> Cheryl, come on! Like he's never here. I can't ever get him uh, to fix the TV. Like yeah, and she's like dying oh. or whatever. Yeah, that was fantastic. So good, so good. Oh yeah, we can go oh, on man. a curb forever. It's just the greatest. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, greatest shows or my favorite things, I would say my favorite show of all time, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, for sure. Oh, it's a great show. Great show. Just the best. Well, uh, this has also been a great show. Great segue again. My God, I'm on fire. Uh, <laughs> no, great episode, my friend. Uh, good catching up with you again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, hopefully, when Seattle has a top five pick uh, from the Denver Broncos. Oh, my God, the misery of it all. Man, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, let's do this again. And hopefully no, uh, we went through another episode minus grief, right? So yes, absolutely. we're on fire. We got a streak going, two in a row now. So let's, uh, let's, let's continue. Do it. Man. Cool, man. Appreciate it. What a blast it was to chat with my good friend, Eric Rosales. I'm super excited to start doing these podcasts again, and I couldn't think of a better way to get going than to talk about the amazing Russell Wilson trade and how well Geno Smith is doing as the quarterback for the Seahawks. I got a kick out of how I asked Eric what shows to check out, then he rattled off ones that he hate watches. Seriously, though, Love is Blind, as a concept, is cool. Not seeing the person, 
but just hearing them and getting to know them and see if you vibe. But once you see each other almost right away, it throws the entire concept of the show out the window. What's the deal with that? I digress. I'll be sure to follow up with him on his trip to California, and here's hoping he has a travel nightmare story that I could feign interest in, even if I really don't have any interest in it at all. Just like I don't care about your fancy football team and how you don't care about mine. Thank you for listening to episode 89, the Doug Baldwin edition of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Bang. 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 Are you against that? Are you against people printing out their own names on a, on a jersey? If you do your own name on a jersey, you're a, a clown. I think it's kind of messed up if you put your own name on, on a jersey for a team.